Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. You know, I have often said on this podcast how hard it is to work in politics. And for some reason that I've never been able to fully understand, there seems to be an unfortunate impression about women in politics and how much harder it is for them. You know, I had the privilege in 2007 to enter the world of politics under the first ever Quebec government to introduce gender equal ministerial cabinet. I witnessed what I used to call the titans manage some of the heaviest cabinet posts, such as Michel Courchain, Monique Jérôme Forget, Nathalie Normando, Lise Thériault, Monique Gagnon Tremblay, Lynn Beauchamp. I saw the first ever woman premier get elected to government, Pauline Marois, with some of her very own heavy hitters, such as Louise Baudouin, Véronique Yvon, Agnès Maltais, Marie Malavoie, and the list goes on and on and on. Also, I had the privilege, and still do, to know and work with unbelievable women that vowed to create more opportunity for women in politics, and I supported them then, and I support them now, because I fundamentally believe that not only do they belong in politics, but they make a significant difference in public affairs. My guest today is proof of that. Rosani Filato is a young and ambitious municipal councillor elected in the district of Villaray. She was a newcomer in the 2017 municipal elections and has been given the responsibility of numerous files as member of the executive committee at the city of Montreal. I am grateful that she found some time to come on the podcast and chat about her journey so far in municipal politics. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Zeni Filato, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. I really, I really appreciate it. I'm really happy to be here. And I know that you have um, probably all the responsibilities. Like they didn't, they didn't have anyone else to give them to. So they're like, just give them to Rosani. She's not busy enough. <laughs> well, so, I changed files recently. I know. You, you've heard? Yeah. Yeah. So I was on uh, social development before. Now I'm on public safety. So it's a big switch, but yeah. still a big responsibility. For sure. Yeah. But you didn't only have that. You had a bunch of other things too, no? Yeah, I had uh, social and community development, women's issues, youth. I also had sports and leisure. Do so you still have those or are you just doing public safety now? Just public safety now. Okay. Yeah. So there was a switch with uh, Nathalie Goulet. Mm-hmm. And this happened in uh, end of March yeah. of uh, 2018. I was really uh, I was really happy to do the switch though because, uh, you know, a, a lot of times when we talk about public safety, you do talk a lot about more vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about, uh, you know, um, seniors, for example, or uh, social and community development, those are a lot of the partners that work with the SPVM, for mm-hmm. example, even the SIM. So our firefighters. So it was a nice uh, transition. Yeah. Plus it gave you a bit more time. Yes. There's a lot more, uh, you know, politics, uh, yeah. you know, uh, that there's a lot of uh, work to be done on the ground. Sure. And there's a lot of uh, community groups that do a lot of events. So that took up a lot of my time. It still does especially in uh, in Villeray. But in terms of public safety, there's more, uh, you know, protocol meetings. Uh, it's a little yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that that change happened and that your, your agenda freed up or else you wouldn't have been here. So. Yeah, it might have been a little harder. <laughs> so I'm a little selfish and uh, that's fine. I, I appreciate that. Um, this is the, you're actually at um, at the midterm, right? Two years? Yes, it's two been years uh, two years. Honestly, I want to know how since 2017 your life has changed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Um, it's it's completely different for sure. So just to give a little uh, context, uh, I'm a lawyer. I worked in Villaray before being elected. Okay. I represented workers in the retail industry. Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I had pretty much an office job, even though uh, sometimes I would go into the stores or I would go meet workers across Quebec. Um, but you know, being in the public eye now is just completely, completely different. Yeah. There's a lot uh, more pressure. For sure, the the mission is the same though. It's one of the big reasons why I went into politics. For me, uh, social justice is uh, what really what really animates me, what yeah. really gets me going. And uh, that's the reason why I went into the mo the union movement and I represented workers and why I, I jumped in politics. Um, but the agenda, like you said, is hectic. Even if you say my my agenda freed up, I found a little uh, a little time. Uh, it's pretty busy. It's nights, weekends. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all week for sure. But uh, See, I love it. This is this is what people don't understand. And you know, you fall into this category where, and this is standard. I'm sure you've heard. It. And if you haven't heard it, you're probably going to hear it coming close to your to to your second campaign, where, you know, the people that aren't that connected to what's going on in politics, but kind of have a little bit of their ear on the ground. The standard comments are, oh, you guys show up every four years. Oh, yep. is there an election coming around? What's going on? And it's not true. Uh, and it's funny because I was doing the, the car ride stuff during the federal election. And I had um, Angelo Iacono, and he said something funny. And he's like, you know, people that tell you that obviously aren't involved as much as you are. Because if they yeah. say that and they don't see you, probably it means that they're not coming out as much. And For not sure. the other way around. I think that's changing today, though. You know, with yeah. social media now, it's yeah. a lot easier to show where we are, to yeah. take pictures, videos, etc. of what we're doing on a daily basis. Uh, for sure, there's still work that needs to be done for us to, to better communicate what we're doing yeah. on a daily basis. But it's changing. See, you're lucky because you you got elected at a period of time where pretty much everyone is on social media. Yeah. Demographic the area has changed significantly. When we started in 2007, social media wasn't a thing. We got on Facebook like, I don't know, mid-2008, somewhere around there, you know, yeah. because we knew that there was an election coming. Uh, and even then, you know, obviously it goes with the voters that you have, right, and their identity and their demographic. Nobody used a computer. Like, our, our, yeah. our, the vote that we have, they're obviously a little older, um, and nobody uses the social media thing, right? So you come at a time now where obviously the area has changed dramatically in, in the last 11 years since I've been there. Um, and social media is a must. You can't do politics. I don't see how you can do politics without it. You're absolutely right. And we're lucky in a lot of ways because, you know, people are, are more accessible now. But... You know, when you're asking how my life has changed in the past two years, the more accessible you are on social media, the more pressure you have as well. Yeah. So, you know, you try to uh, send out positive messages about what you're doing. There's a lot of criticism as well that comes yeah. on social media. And that makes it more difficult in some ways because you have a lot of pressure to just be available at all times. Uh, you know, I'll get messages from citizens writing to me at any time yeah. of the day, night, weekends. And for me, um, you know, I feel like I have to answer and I do. Okay. I think it's important to be an accessible elected official. Mm -hmm. If we want, you know, less cynicism in politics, if we want more people getting involved, if we want more people voting. Um, but, you know, it's tough. We talk a lot about, you know, us ourselves promote the importance of uh, conciliation, yeah. travail famille, travail école. Uh, sorry for the French. Sometimes I think in French, speaking uh, not a problem. English. But, um, you know, we often don't apply it to ourselves. We want to make sure that we answer everything very quickly. Because you are the toughest, uh, you are your own, your toughest critic, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. 
what about do you get any hatred stuff like any negative stuff how do you deal with that have you developed that hard shell that where it just comes and bounces right off and you don't care or does it affect you you know it affects me does it it affects me oh, yeah. yeah uh i think it's important to say that you know when something affects us it does not all the time it mm. depends you know i try uh to not delete ban hide yeah. any uh you know more negative messages because i think it's important to show people you know what's yeah. out there and to answer i do try to Uh, encourage people publicly as well uh, to be more constructive, yeah. you know, to not just say that everything's bad, but yeah. to specifically address certain issues and be constructive to help me change things. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, it's difficult for people and I understand their frustration because over the years, there's been so much cynicism mm -hmm. in politics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we hear citizens uh, in door to door. I'm sure you've heard it too, but saying, First of all, like you said, we only see you every four years, uh, but also you're all the same. You know, you promise things and yeah. then you don't you don't do it, uh, which is why we need to always be out there and show the things that we accomplish. Uh, sure. Thanks. But, um, you know, making uh, uh, promises, as we would say, and being transparent about what you can do and what you can't accomplish yeah. maybe on the short term is extremely important if we want people Uh, to keep voting. But it's about being real too. Yes. And that's what I, uh, you know, over the over the course of my career in politics, that's what I understood almost immediately that people relate to someone that is true. Yep. And that isn't always so political. I remember doing events and not talking politics at all, even during the campaign. It, it was the it was the most mysterious thing for me, especially in the beginning. Um and you know, I was surrounded by a team that had done elections like since Barassa, like since the 80s. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was just another game for them, right? Uh, running a campaign and seeing them uh, kind of coach us and guide us, it opened up my eyes because I thought that like, we're going to knock on doors, promote our platform, uh, give the ideas. Yeah. And it is completely the opposite. I We think would knock on doors. Hey, how's it going? You're doing good. Oh, good. Oh, what do you cook? It smells good in here. What do you cook? Yeah. And, and just being yourself. And people would relate to in that Park so X, much. In Park X, everything smells good, Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> no, but in Villaray as Villaray well. too, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I felt that people had a connection and you automatically drop that barrier. You knock on someone's door and they open it like, oh, man, they see the, the pamphlets. They see, you know, they're like, oh, God, another politician. Like, no, nobody's excited to open the door. When the politician knocks, you know what I mean? That, that, like very rarely do people look forward to, I wonder uh, when they're going to pass by. I can't wait. You know what uh, I mean? You had yeah, excited no. people like that. But in general, you, you have to understand that you're bothering people. You're knocking on their door. You're taking whatever, five minutes of their time. You might as well just have a laugh about it, right? And I, I realized that people relate much more to that kind of politician because I've seen the other, the other type of, uh, as well, right? Yep. Where they come, hey, do you know our party? Do you know do you know where? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. No, and people are fed up of hearing the same thing over yeah. and over yeah. again, that we're the party that's going to change things, regardless of the party, yeah. you know, and regardless of the level. Uh, you know, the platform, as you say, I think the general vision of the platform is important for people. They'll mm -hmm. relate to the leader of the party, for example. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right that being a down-to-earth politician is what people want now. Yeah. People just want you to be to be honest, to be transparent. That's something I actually learned in 
in the union movement. Mm -hmm. You know, when I represented workers, uh, a lot of them had uh, issues uh, with their boss, with their schedule, uh, regardless. And when they would call, you know, sometimes we wouldn't be able to give them the answer yeah. that they wanted to hear. But we accompanied them in the process and we found a way of finding the best solution for them. Mm -hmm. And I find that with citizens, it's the same, you mm -hmm. know, getting an answer to them quickly, super important. Of course. And I think the process is way more important than, you know, the final result. Uh, if they know that you're going to be there when they need to be heard, that you're going to follow up with them very quickly, it means a lot to them. Yeah. And like you said, just going to their events, for example, you know, in Villeray, we have a lot of Ruelle uh, Verte parties. Yeah. We have a, a nice uh, uh, community life. And people want to see us there. And like you said, they're not going to necessarily talk to us about, uh, you know, an issue that they have. They just want us to be present. And it's also a question, you know, with um, with their kids, for example, uh, who they want to show good examples to. Uh, you know, yeah. you could become a politician. You don't have to look like a specific type of person yeah. to go into politics. Yeah. So just showing up in your jeans, in your sweatshirt. Yeah. Or but it's also the writing that allows that, right? Yes. You know, we, we, we both serve the writing where showing up necessarily in a suit and tie. Yeah. Uh, what kind of distance the person because they're down to earth people. They're 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 middle class, uh, you know, hardworking uh, people, and they relate. Like when they see you dress comfortably, like image has a lot to do with it, right? It's true. Uh, I mean, if you're going some somewhere official, you dress up accordingly. But when you're doing like you said, like the street festivals and the you know yeah. all those meetings in the Ruelle, showing up in a suit and tie perhaps isn't you know the the most ideal. No, exactly. Yeah. You wanna you wanna be accessible. You wanna be yourself, and I think you said it. You said it best, you know, you uh, citizens want to see you as as yourself. They want to see you as human. They want to have a coffee with you. They want to have a drink with you. And I don't think it serves anybody to try to be somebody else or yeah. try to fit that that box. Yeah. Have you have you uh, realized maybe you haven't uh, that because of your engagement in politics and because you're like almost 100 percent of the time kind of. Uh, immersed in that reality that you're sort of in a little bubble and yes. you realize that okay you know people don't really care people don't really follow like let me just come out of that is it easy for you to distinguish that or have you have you gone through that yet or um yeah I, I definitely feel it I feel that bubble effect um it's it's tough sometimes you know because you tend to uh, not intentionally, but distance yourself from a lot of your closer friends that you've had. But you have no choice either. I mean, th that's your reality. You're you're required to be present all the time. Yes, but it it also you know what you're what you're saying about being in your bubble and not necessarily relating. It's I think it's important to find a way to relate and to share those experiences that you're having, even yeah. if they don't. But I was talking about like the political bubble. Like yeah. you're dealing with things, and because you're dealing with them, you kind of feel that everyone is hearing the same things on the news or they're seeing the same things or they're reading the same policy. And then you realize that nobody really cares, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's true that sometimes, you know, especially if you're following your own social media feed, <laughs> everybody agrees with you. Yeah. You know, a lot of times everybody agrees with you and then you have to look a little further. You have to scope out and realize, okay, maybe everybody doesn't see uh, things the way that I see yeah. them. And um, that's true for social media. It's also true for the media that you choose to to follow. But I definitely uh, feel like I'm in that bubble sometimes. And I think that's what's so great about being a municipal councillor and being able to do so much groundwork is that 
you know, going into those festivals and continuing to do door to door, even when it's not election time, you realize that you need to do that outreach work yeah. to get your message across. Because the advantage you also have is that, first of all, you're in Montreal. Yeah. You, the people you represent are in Montreal. So you're constantly present. And, the, you know, that, that, that thing you say about being that proximity government, it's true. You're, you're, you know, you're that first door that they knock. We're hands on. Yeah, but you have that advantage of being present all the time. Whereas if you're sitting in Ottawa or in Quebec, you only have a number of days in the week that you can possibly grant to to the different activities and to seeing people. That's what people probably see you less. Yeah, so there's that physical presence. Yeah. And I think also the concrete changes that you can make on the provincial and, and federal level. It's a lot of laws that mm -hmm. can change things which are very much important, yeah. but are on a more structural level and a more long-term level yeah. uh, in general. On the municipal level, you know, uh, although we do talk about changing things on the long-term, sometimes it's a question of a pothole, a stop yeah. sign yeah. for your family to feel safer, uh, you know, the speed limit. It's things that can be changed in the week, in the yeah. month, sometimes in days. Yeah. And it's it's concrete change. So it's it's nice because it shows you that you're there for the right reasons and you could affect change. For sure. So tell me, so you're a lawyer. How does uh, how do you go from being a lawyer to uh, running for office? You had ran federally, by the way, yes. I think, right? In 2015? Yeah. So 2015, I ran with the NDP in St. Leonard, St. Michelle. Wrong year. Wrong year. <laughs> Wrong year. year. Um, well, you know, the the borough itself, um, sorry, not the borough, but the riding the of St. Leonard, St. Michelle, you know, has been uh, liberal for forever, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, there was not many chances for me to win. I did it because, uh, you know, for me, it was important to get involved in politics. Like I said, I represented workers. And it was a year where uh, the union movement and workers' rights were under attack. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people had encouraged me to, to run. You know, we wanted more women, more young people in politics at the time. I think we still do. Mm -hmm. um, but they had encouraged me to run and I chose to uh, to do it in St. Leonard, St. Michelle, despite the fact that I didn't have many uh, chances of winning. Uh, but when we speak of proximity um, and affecting change, for me, it was important to show uh, citizens that you could be present and you could affect change. And there are alternatives mm -hmm. um, at times. And, you know, I did a nine month campaign door to door. And that's actually what led me to the municipal level, mm -hmm. because most of the time people wouldn't talk to me about the platform on yeah. the federal level. Yeah. They would talk to me about their parking. They would talk to me about the speed limit. They would talk to me about bike paths, yeah, yeah. Uh, about their trees. So I realized that if I really wanted to affect change and be closer to citizens, I would have to do it on the municipal level. Yeah. And uh, so I lost in 2015 and then had the opportunity to run uh, with Projet Montréal in uh, 2017. And uh, I chose to do it in the riding where I worked. Mm -hmm. So uh, in Villeray and uh, very happy, very happy uh, with that decision. Honestly, I wasn't expecting to be on the executive committee <laughs> in a very, very uh, transparent way. Wasn't necessarily expecting to win either. Because you went against a very, very popular incumbent, yes. right? Um, Jesus Christ, her name? Elsie uh, Yes. She's been our adversary for years. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot her name. Uh, yeah, Elsie Lefebvre, who, um, who was a member of the National Assembly. Uh, yeah. And to, well, that's who we beat in 2007 when we got in, actually. Uh, but she was only there for came in, in, in a by-election. But very popular uh, politician, very much loved, especially yes. in Villeray. Um, everybody knew her. Everywhere we went, people loved her. And I, I got to be honest with you. I never thought that she would have ever lost that seat. 
so the results on the, on the night of the election, I was like, what just happened? But it was just a general train wreck. Um, yeah, you know, 2017 on the municipal level, I think. Not for you guys. Surprised. <laughs> no, no, yeah, for, absolutely. For absolutely. the Kader administration, it was yeah. just horrible. I think it it surprised a lot of people yeah. election night. Um, I can say uh, very honestly that um, I myself was surprised, but in the last two weeks of the election, um, I felt you it. You felt it. Yeah. I felt that something was changing. I felt that people uh, wanted change. Uh, people were very happy with uh, Valerie's uh, campaign and the way that it was it was very positive you know it was axed on very concrete changes for the city and you know i i talked a lot about transparency honesty and the importance for citizens of having those those traits and i think that that's one of the reasons that brought us to office mm -hmm. you know a lot of people weren't happy with the old administration's way of managing or hiding certain certain facts or some information um, you know, even the old mayor was very much appreciated, mm -hmm. you know, on a, I, I heard it mm -hmm. uh, in door to door. So, uh, he was appreciated. Elsie was extremely appreciated in Villeray. Yeah. Uh, but I think that people, uh, genuinely wanted, uh, change. Um, Villeray is a, is a district that changed a lot over oh, the years. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom grew up there. Uh, my my grandmother as well uh, on Saint Hubert. So I saw the change uh, in Villeray over the years. Uh, I worked there for the the past uh, five years before being elected, and you know, completely, completely transformed yeah, a yeah. lot more young families yeah, yeah. and people who are looking for a more uh, secure, um, a more secure district. Uh, you know, that's why we lowered, for example, the uh, the speed limit to thirty kilometers everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, we have families, we have kids who want streets that are playable mm -hmm. now, you know, same thing for um, Les Ruelles. So it completely changed over the years. And I think they saw with Projet Montréal and Valérie and administration that would transform the city to make it more, more local, mm -hmm. you know. No, it, it it was um it was a shocker for many many people even even Annie Sanson who was the borough yeah. mayor yeah uh, obviously I had the privilege to work with her since two thousand and seven when we got in and same thing there people were uh, were in love with her and she she was she was in office for so many years even before uh, we got in um, I just think it was a general uh, f feeling of change that people wanted right I think. You know, the Kader ship went down and he took along with him a lot of these yeah. key people. I had Haru Chitilian on the podcast. Yes. Same thing for him, uh, Annie, and a lot of other people. And, um, you know, we were all thinking, I remember the night and I was like, what is going on here? Not that we were for or against anyone. It's just that, n at least not from my side, the way I was seeing things, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and I was thinking, God, <laughs> what just happened here? This, this is ho not horrible, but it, it was just a, a huge change from what people were expecting to happen, right? I think when you say it's horrible, it's because you, you know, you've been in politics and you see how devoted politicians are, yeah. regardless the party that they're mm -hmm. in. People give their hearts and souls. They give up so much time with their families, with their friends. Mm -hmm. So regardless, you know, you, yes, it's horrible when somebody loses when they're you know, they were appreciated. Mm -hmm. And I still hear it about Elsie, about Annie. Yeah. Uh, you know, people still talk about them. Uh, I see Annie sometimes in certain events, events you know, yeah. you end up staying close to people. Yeah. And it's not that they weren't, you know, appreciated as people or what they did for the borough. But as you said, people wanted change mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. We see it on all levels Look, of government now. There's a lot of waves. You for know? sure. Well, we, we saw one in Quebec last yes. year. So that... 
you know, th- this is what I came to understand. Up until maybe three, four years ago, it was somewhat of, not, I don't want to say the older generation, but, you know, the kids that were kids when I started politics are at a voting age right now. Yeah. And what we've come to understand is that they don't necessarily think the same way their parents do, right? And I have a feeling that parties have for a long time taken those electors for granted, you know, those communities for granted. And I think we're starting to realize that, look, there's a shift. There's a shift in ideas. There's a shift in patterns and in behaviors. We saw it in the federal election that just happened, the same thing. Uh, there's, there's this group, um, there's this cluster of electors that are between the age of 18 to 35 that have absolutely nothing to do with the way uh, their uh, their fathers or their mothers or, you know, the, the yep. older generations used to vote. It's com- it's a huge, drastic change. Whereas I pretty much had the same ideology as my parents, but the following generation doesn't, the younger one. And that's what we're experiencing now, I feel. And we've been seeing, we saw it at the, provi- at the at your municipal election. We saw it at our provincial yep. election recently. And we saw it again at the federal election. So I think this is pretty much a, an eye-opener. I think going forward, there has to be... Uh, a new way to kind of dip into these uh, to these groups and kind of reach out to them. Things have changed a lot. I think so too. And I think a lot of young people want to see more positive in politics. You know, we saw the old style of doing politics, yeah. which was always about saying what the other party didn't do yeah. or what we're going to do better. People want to hear what you're going to work on. Mm-hmm. And I think that young people uh, need a cause. You know, they need to see, uh, for example, if we look at the environment. Yeah. You know, it's the big issue now and with reason. Uh, we saw 500,000 people in the streets yeah. in Montreal. A lot of young people. And it's because of young people that now we're speaking more and more about the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it with uh, my cousin a few years ago, actually, uh, while he was in high school. And he was telling me, you know, uh, my favorite subject right now is the environment. And that surprised me because that's not something we used to talk nope. about in school. No, nope. And... You know, politicians need to uh, jump on the train. You know, we can't impose our ideas on the newer generations. We need to hear them out and hear that we need to change things and do it in a do it in a positive way. But I completely agree that, you know, the narrative has completely changed. Yeah. And, you know, young people won't vote just because they're told to go vote. And what I always try to encourage young people to do is to at least uh Take a look at the platforms just to give them an idea. And despite the fact that I have my own political opinions, I always tell people, young people, go vote for what you believe in and who you believe in, regardless who that is. But that privilege that we have mm-hmm. uh, of being able to go vote is so important. Do you feel that people actually follow platforms, though? Um, in which, what do you mean by follow platforms? You're going to put out a platform. You're going into an election in two years. You're going to yeah. have a platform. Do you do you honestly think people are going to sit and read it? Uh, it depends. It depends. And I think that's up to us as politicians and as political parties to make sure that we're writing platforms and that we're communicating platforms, not in a super complex, detailed way, but in a way that uh, we send a clear message to citizens, mm-hmm. exactly what we're going to do, not big lines without targets, mm-hmm. specifically what we're going to do. And I can tell you that You know, uh, when I was responsible for social and community development, all the other uh, social issues and sports, I took our platform and I made sure that in the next four years I would work uh, 
both in the uh, in the borough and at the city level to make sure that we were going to follow those targets, mm-hmm. uh, not start from scratch and see what could be done, what was already being worked on. But I think we have that duty to make sure that, you know, what we say to people, we're going to get done. Yeah. Um, do I think that citizens are going to read the platforms from A to Z? No, yeah. no. Uh, just like but I didn't do the same I, in the past. I never read a platform before I worked in politics. Never. Of ever. course. But that's why I'm saying I think it's important to have a platform. But sorry, but here's what I realized. Uh, in the last campaigns, whether it was provincial or federal, I I felt that the youth connected more to the propositions in platform because yeah. of the social media tools that yes. we have, right? Uh, so we were going door to door and we were realizing that the younger people actually knew what we were proposing and they had ideas or suggestions on those things that they saw pass by on Twitter or on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And the older generations, they were just stuck to whatever, you know. More tradition. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I was saying it was it was so hard, both when I ran on the federal level and on the municipal level, when I was up against people who were appreciated, people uh, who were known by their communities, respected, and, uh, you know, who were with the, the same parties or who represented the same things for years, mm-hmm. you know, to get out there and to get myself known was very, very difficult. I wouldn't be able to do it through through a platform, yeah. for example. So uh, it was tough. But I think the way to do it is to communicate it very clearly, like you said, through social media, for example, and not to get you know, not to start debating with specifics with the other with the other parties, uh, but really just to, you know, speak out about what you want as a change. And I really think that young people, as you said, mm-hmm. when you do door to door, they take the time to read it mm-hmm. and they take the time to look at what you represent. They won't vote, maybe some, but they won't vote generally just by tradition or just because they need to believe in something. Did you look at your numbers when you uh, when you got elected? Did, did that, the, that, that younger demographic come out? Um, it did on a, on a municipal level. I'm not sure uh, in Villaray yeah. specifically, and uh, but it did come out. Because that's uh, the other challenge. Yeah, reaching sure. out to the young, like the 18 to 35, getting them out to vote has always been a challenge. You know, one thing we failed at, and I've said it many times on the podcast, was to get more youngsters involved in politics. We tried, maybe we didn't try hard enough, but if there's one thing that we completely failed at, and I'm talking about us, not. Uh, the party or the government yeah, yeah. like us locally um i don't know why we 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 struggled you know um you know i think as much as we don't necessarily read the entire platform i think that by sharing our values as parties it helps connect with young people um at our party at projet montreal we have a lot of young members mm-hmm. and i think one of the things that helps is that we're a lot of young elected mm-hmm. officials you know myself seeing valerie who was young and who was up against uh you know a mayor that was really known and respected that's what you know enticed me to get involved yeah. with projet montreal and to run uh when somebody who's young inspires you and is accessible yeah you follow you follow. Yeah. How was that first year? Because like you mentioned, there's a lot of young people that ran in the team that were inspired by Valérie Plante. Um, you come to, you know, you, you, you come into power and did you, you know, I guess you realize that practically nobody had any experience in on the side of the administration, right? Well, we had a few elected officials who had been there for years, but in the opposition. Exactly. Uh, you know, on the municipal level, there's the boroughs and there's 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, the municipal city level, hall, yeah. city uh, city center. So a lot of people had experience within their boroughs, you know, to manage budgets. Um, I think a lot of that experience helped us as new elected officials to manage the borough, but also to manage at city do you center. Feel that, do you feel that that transition happened smoothly or it was kind of like a, a culture shock to, to, to be there and, and to, to see what you had to uh, to take care of suddenly and you're like... Uh, well, there's definitely a culture shock, yeah. and I think we felt it with the services as well. Uh, you know, every administration, every party, every person is different than another. You know, we're we're all human, and we work differently. Um, we've been told that a lot by a lot of people who work at the city. Uh, we don't we don't rubber stamp. It's just not something that we do. So we take the time to look at everything, to read it, to challenge, and that I, I would say that that was tough at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, very honestly, it was tough because, uh, you know, we want to change. And like a lot of Montrealers, we wanted to change things quickly. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You can't change everything in a day, there's, there's in a, a week, reality in a month. Check. Yeah. There's a reality yeah. check for sure. Um, and, you know, that's why we're working now at the city on a mobilization um, uh, mobilization uh, program with the city workers, with all the employees at the city, because it's structural change that we want on, you know, on the long term. So you have to embed your vision uh, with the people that you work with, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and we have city workers who are great. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you who are, you know, extremely patient as well. And who, uh, if they want to adhere to our vision or they do adhere to our vision, we have to find ways of working together. And that first year uh, served that purpose. I would say. And now, you know, we've become we've become a team, we've become families, we all work together and it's easier to get things going. That's why we see more of the projects coming out now or in the past year. Because I I sometimes put myself in their shoes and it must be so difficult to work at the city. Like, I mean, just driving through the the city sometimes can be so frustrating. Of course. So frustrating. Of course. And, you know, um, I know we're perceived as a party who, uh, you know, only speaks about uh, bikes or bike paths or... Um, you know, it's it's sometimes easy for the media to portray it that way. And yes, it's something that we want to encourage. Um, I can tell you that I've driven my entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had access to a, a metro. Um, I grew up in St. Leonard, so I didn't have that yeah. same uh, privilege as a lot of people who lived right by a metro and yeah. was able to, to do that. So I do understand that frustration. Uh, now it's finding a way to make sure that we stop putting pedestrians, cyclists and uh, people who drive cars in confrontation yeah. and find ways to have a better have better mobility for for everybody, but it's it's tough. It's tough because the infrastructure wasn't created to have this sort of coexistence, right, between mm-hmm. uh, cyclists and drivers. So you have to kind of just change everything. I remember how, uh, was I still in university? I think I had just finished when they changed Maisonneuve and they took away the two lanes. Yep. And they had a bike path. Mm-hmm. And I remember wintertime, it was, it was, there was like literally not an inch of snow in the back, in the, in the, in the bike path. And the streets were just chaotic. Yeah. And I was wondering what the hell is going on here? So you see, that's <laughs> yeah. one of the best examples of, of distinguishing or of having to distinguish the perception and the reality of things. You know, we keep getting told that we take the snow off bike paths before the street. The reality is that the machines that we use for the sidewalks, and the bike paths yeah. is the same yeah. uh, versus, um, sorry, for the bike paths and the streets is the same. So if we, you know, if we pass through a street, um, 
that wasn't programmed to do the bike path at the same time or the sidewalk at the same time, we'll do it at the same time if we have the machinery there. Yeah, yeah. It's a question of efficiency too. So we end up doing it at the same time, but people see um, the the bike path yeah. without snow. It's just funny. I know, I know it's, it's funny. funny, but it's it's really a question of perception. Here's another funny story because our office was on St. Lawrence, right? So right across, we had Jerry Park. And I remember one day it was just heavy snowstorm. Like it was crazy. You couldn't see in front. And, uh, you know, downstairs there was uh, the Espresso Mali. They sell coffee machines and stuff. So the owner was out with his snowblower trying to make space for the customers to come in and everything. So I was coming to work and I stopped. We're talking. And he's like, God damn this weather. You know, the, the, the typical yeah. complaining, right? And then at some point we look into the park. <laughs> There's snow everywhere now. You, you can barely walk. And we look into the park and they're, and they're cleaning the paths <laughs> that are In crossing the into the park. So we're just, it was like this moment where time kind of froze and we're both kind of staring at it. And I look at, I look over to him and he looks over to me and, and we didn't say anything, but we kind of understood what we were both thinking. Yeah. We're like, well, this is it. This is it. You know? <laughs> it's, it's really tough. And you know, I, I say it. I just found it funny. I know snow removal is not perfect and it's not an easy, um, it's not necessarily easy to manage. Yeah. You know, there was a first politique du déneigement that came out uh, right before our administration came in. We just adapted it now. And, you know, I always try to be very humble when I talk about snow removal because saying that it's perfect and saying that our streets and our sidewalks are perfect uh, would just not be true. Yeah. So we're trying to find better methods. And one thing that I always try to pass as a message, you know, with climate change, uh, there's a lot more ice now yeah. than there was before. You know, it's hot, cold, it yeah. rains, yeah. it snows all at once. And it obviously damages more the streets. It damages yeah. more and we need new equipment. We need different equipment. Montreal was very Didn't good at taking Didn't you have like that icebreaker yes. or something? Yeah. Is that functioning? Is it is it out? Or? It's functioning. Okay. So we had it for the first time last year. We call it a creux glace. Yeah. So that's to get the ice off the sidewalks. The crusher. The, the crusher, crusher. The ice crusher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's a good name. Yeah, yeah. It's a good name. We have more uh, this year, actually. But it's the type of equipment that we need to use more often and yeah. that we need to integrate into our practices. Mm -hmm. So we can't expect there to be climate change and for the city and the boroughs to have perfect snow removal. Yeah. We work with contractors, too. It's not our blue collar workers necessarily mm -hmm. that do the work. So, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of change for everyone. But we're working on it. I want to talk to you about... Um, a specific uh, file in Villeray, yeah. the, the Sainte La Jeunesse. Yes. Um, and I want to talk to you because I, I'm a little bit disappointed, not because of, uh, you know, how it's going. It's just the way that whole file uh, ended up. Uh, and just to put people in context, the, the Sainte La Jeunesse, very important center in the middle of Villeray, in the heart of Villeray. Uh, over 250,000 people went through that uh, that center every year, different services, different organizations, et cetera. Um, I remember back in, must have been probably 2015, end of 2015, I think, or middle to end of 2015. Um, the school commissioner came to see us, whom you know very well. Yes. And he told us, listen, we're looking at our numbers. We're projecting that we're going to have a huge issue uh, in our schools. There's uh, there's a dramatic increase in childbirth in Villaray. We're going to need space in our schools. Uh, and he said, we need to take over the Sainte La Jeunesse. Yeah. And it's difficult to be against a project like that, right? Creating a school uh, and facilitating all that environment, you can't be against it. And he, and the idea with him was that 
as soon as a project would be ready that we would push it in, in order for the government to, to give the green light, which obviously we backed up, uh, we, we backed the project. There was one condition though, and we wanted the Sainte La Jeunesse to not disappear, right? We needed yeah. to find a viable solution uh, to where we were going to move the Sainte La Jeunesse. And that's where the, the old Chinese hospital came into question. Um, so it was a consistently back and forth. Obviously, the Sainte La Jeunesse was made aware. Uh, and then I think it was before you guys got elected. It was uh, in 2016. Um, we were dealing with the, the Cid de Cid Villeray. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like an umbrella organization that houses uh, a series of organizations in Villeray. They do a fantastic job. They came to see us. And at first we found it funny that they came on behalf of the Sainte La Jeunesse. But in any case, we appreciated the fact that there was like a cohesiveness in the, in the area. And they came to us and they had proposed two different things. The first solution was that the health department um, doesn't sell it because they wanted to sell it. We were at a period where the government was um, uh, trying to limit its uh, uh, the public spending. Mm-hmm. So they want to get rid of it because they're holding on something that is used for nothing and they're spending millions of dollars just to maintain it. Yeah. So they, ha- they want to get rid of it. So the first solution was um, let's not get rid of it. Uh, they came to us to ask us if it's possible for the health department to transfer the assets to the education department and for the education department to kind of grant it to the, um, uh, to the community. We, are, we automatically knew what the answer was going to be to that, and that's exactly what it was. But the second solution is exactly what was followed was that um, they wanted us to kind of see if there was a possibility for the health department to postpone the deadline um, for the, 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 you know, the sale uh, and to see if there's a way that the city can come in and buy it. And, and then the city would obviously offer it to the community. We thought that was a great idea. Uh, we, we managed to, um, to offer to, it to, to the community as a school or as, um, to, to offer it for, for a community for, for a community services. Center. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it wasn't specified, but it was just, you know, for a community vocation. Right. So we managed to, um, uh, to postpone, uh, to extend the deadline. It gave the time to the city to make a proposition. And, uh, and that's when you guys were elected, uh, and it went through. So the city, uh, the city purchased uh, purchased it. The idea, though, was that that was going to be the uh, where the Saint Lazarus was going to transfer. And uh, it's sad because now I saw the news. Um, it went, uh, I think, it was a week or two ago that I think you posted it. Yes. Um, and it's going to be converted to social housing, which I have nothing against social housing, and we all know that, especially in that area, there's a there's there's a huge need. But the problem is that the Saint Lajeunesse is going to lose so many resources. I spoke very recently uh, with the director of the, the Saint Lajeunesse for some other thing, and you know the conversation led there. And you know they're going to merge with another organization that mm-hmm. is really far further east in Villeray. So demographically and in terms of services, there's a different reality. And I asked her, uh, I go, well, look, at, at least you know the, the the services are there, the organizations are going to survive. And she's like, well, not really. You know, no, we, we can't transfer everyone there, right? It's a, the, we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but for sure we're going to lose certain things. And that upset me. It disappointed me because the it wasn't an agreement. I mean, we, nothing was put on paper, but the understanding that we had while working with the community groups was that we were going to do our share to make sure that it stays, so that we can finally make something of that mm-hmm. building that's been uh, empty yeah. f- 20 years whatever whatever the number is uh, but you know there's no conditions but we wanted that 
it would be reserved not exclusively, but primarily for the Saint Lajeunesse. And uh, I remember the CDC had even made plans to incorporate entirely the the um, mm-hmm. the, the Saint Lajeunesse and uh, find additional space to do whatever. I think they uh, they were looking into commercial spots. It was yeah, it was like a mix of things, and that was perfect. And when I saw the news come out, I was like, God damn. I'm like, what, what, what exactly happened there, you know? Uh, so the Saint Legion is, what's going to happen? So when we came in, well, actually during the campaign, you know, we spoke a lot about uh, Le Centre La Jeunesse, mm-hmm. where it would go. It wasn't up for sale at the time. So even during the, the campaign, so in, you know, the fall. In 2017, it was. It it, was. Well, it wasn't publicly. No, 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 no. Nothing, yeah. nothing was public. Okay. Nothing. We knew because, you know, backstage, we knew what was going on. Okay. And we were trying to, to kind of create as much room as possible for mm-hmm. the community to get organized and propose something. So, um, as you said, it's 20 years that it's been vacant. And I know there was a lot of plans to buy it. There was a lot of projects. Yeah. Uh, when we were asked in during the campaign, you know, what was our plans for Le Centre de la Jeunesse? Uh, we wanted to be as realistic as possible. And, you know, we spoke a lot about being transparent. Uh, for me, it was important to be transparent. And I kept saying if for 20 years, nothing has happened, despite all the plans and despite everything that we know, I did not think that it was realistic that... Uh, you know, the Centre La Jeunesse would have to leave uh, very quickly and have a space for them um, Alex Hôpital Chinois yeah. right away. No, of course You know, not. for yeah. me, it, it just, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't possible. So we had proposed to uh, maybe find another another space uh, or maybe to have two spaces for Le Centre La Jeunesse because, as you know, you know, a lot of their activities will be in churches as well, or uh, will be um, not necessarily au patrouille prévôt, but they'll go to other locations. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the very beginning, we never, you know, spoke spoke about l'ex-hôpital chinois as being an option. And as you said, uh, social housing in Villeray and in the borough in general, we're the third borough with the most needs in terms mm-hmm. of social housing. Uh, we got on the file right away as soon as we were elected. I met with uh, Emilie. I met with a lot of the community groups. Uh, some of the groups which were more regional, which didn't work only in Villeray, like the FADUC had told us, uh, you know, we can find another location. There's no issue. And uh, the Patro Le Prévost um, wasn't necessarily in the cards at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just wanted to find the best solution to maintain the organizations together because that's something that they had always, always requested, always asked for. Um, a few months later, we had some discussions uh, with Le Patro Le Prévost to see if it's something that they would be open to. Uh, you know, there's a lot of space. There's a lot of renovations that need to be done mm-hmm. as well. But it's it's a place where we would be able to keep all the organizations together, which is still the plan. Just so you know, we want to keep them all together. Okay. Um, Do, will it have the room to house everyone? Yeah. Okay. So the delay now is March 2020 yeah. for the CSDM to take back Le Centre La Jeunesse to make a school, which is going to be a transition school, by the way. So all the schools that have too many kids yeah. are going to be transitioning there at Le Centre La Jeunesse. Um, in March 2020, all the organizations need to be relocated. And the project for social housing is going to be about 2023. So just to show you the delay that there is between relocating the organizations and having them in a space, uh, both on a short-term and a long-term level, it wouldn't be possible Mm -hmm. in the, in the ex-Chinese hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as soon as the for sale sign went up 
on the Chinese hospital, the ex-Chinese hospital. Uh, we definitely had our eye on it because, you know, it's 20 years that it's been vacant. Mm -hmm. So it was a prime location to do social housing. Uh, we were never close to having something that's mixed. Even, um, you know, when we bought it, we said it would be for social and community housing if possible. Uh, we're working with l'Association des Locataires de Villeray. And uh, for them, uh, for sure, you know, the need is there. If we could do social housing everywhere mm -hmm. and all the community groups will have a location, uh, it was ideal for everybody. Yeah. So on the long term, what we're seeing for Le Centre La Jeunesse is a majority of the groups that are going to be at Le Patro Le Prévost. And Espace Famille Villeray is going to be au Chalet de Normandville. Okay. So there's uh, money from uh, La Ville Centre that's going to the renovation of Le Chalet de Normandville. Okay. So Espace Family is going to be there. Yeah. And it's something that they've been asking for, for for years, you know. To be located there or to get another location? Uh, to be located there. Okay. Because the Chalet the de Normandville, um, they've been using it for certain activities. But, you know, they would go through Le Centre de la Jeunesse or Le Chalet de Normandville. So having their own space for families uh, is something that's great. And it's not far from Le Patro Le Prévost. So they'll be able to, yeah. to use both. Yeah. And the Cisoissante Villeray which you probably yeah. remember, uh, that's going to be more administrative um, organizations. So La CDC that you were talking about, um, L'Association des Locataires de Villeray are going to be there. So we're going to have offices there, Espace Famille Villeray, which is going to be at the chalet, which mm -hmm. is going to be renovated, yeah. and Le Patro Le Prévost. And I've always said, um, you know, there's there's some people, some citizens that were worried about uh, people having, you know, being used to Le Centre La Jeunesse that's always been at the same space. For sure, yeah. And if we need to adjust, if we need to get the navette, for example, to get people who are more in the West to go more to the East, it's something we can definitely look yeah, at. Yeah, because the, the location was was ideally for the service that they offered. I mean, people would always walk because it was it's smack in the middle of Hillary, right? Nobody would have, you know, nobody wanted to get rid of Le Centre La Jeunesse. Even the school board, I think, you know, there's a, there's a need. I think parents also want, yes, we have a, you know, strong community-based groups that are at Le Centre La Jeunesse, but people also needed a place for their, for their, their kids to go absolutely. to school. Absolutely. Look, there's absolutely no one that can contest that, yeah. that, that request from the, from the schools. I, I don't know what's going on with the project. I don't know if it was approved. Uh, we, we were in, uh, we were in discussion with the, the, the education minister, but then we went to elections and obviously we lost. So I don't know where that file ended up. I don't know if it went through, if they're actually going to move forward in creating that school or. I don't believe that they got the funding, but um, they are going ahead. That with the was project. the next thing in line for us. Yeah. After this, so. I don't believe that they, they got the funding. No. And, you know, we're definitely going to need, we're working really closely to the community based groups. We're really going to need, you know, the provincial government and the federal oh, they government have to, to move. be on. They they have to be on board they too. Have to move. Look, all the schools they have those extensions in the back. I mean, it looks like a trailer park. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. They've it's ridiculous. made them more modern than yeah. the past. Okay, but uh, you know, it's still I not. Mean, it's ideal. not a situation that's ideal. But I'm right? speaking about our schools, but also our community based groups. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a lot. There's a big lack of of funding in general. Uh, you know, we we can tell it's not only in Villeray where it's difficult to find a location for community-based groups. And there's a lot that are being, uh, you know, kicked out of of where they were for years. Mm -hmm. And it also happened in Park X, by the way, before you yep. came in mm -hmm. at the, at the Williams, uh, William Hingston. Yep. The, you know, the, the school commission took over, uh, I think, one or two floors and all the organizations had to leave. It's something Mary Darrells talks about constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it comes from a lack of, 
from a lack of funding. And at the borough and at the municipal level, we don't have all the funds. Mm -hmm. And that's why we work very closely with, you know, the provincial and the federal and level. Federal. The mayor, uh, Plante, actually wrote a letter to the provincial government to ask for more funds to renovate Le Patro Le Prévost and uh, to renovate, actually, uh, one of the churches that we have in Villeray, Saint-Vincent-Ferry. Yeah. Uh, ideally, what we would have wanted was uh, our pole any. So because there's La Maison des Grands-Parents uh, de Villeray, which is uh, right near the church, we would have had our pole any. Mm -hmm. And that's something that uh, the groups were very optimistic Obviously, about. But yeah. because of the, the church um, and the condition of the church, it was impossible. So for now, March 2020, all the groups are going to be uh, au patro, mm -hmm. um, except those who are, are uh, au 660 Villeray. But we're we're really optimistic. The Patro Le Prévost and uh, Emilie au Centre de la Jeunesse. Yeah, no, I spoke to her. I mean, look, for her, I mean, she, she just wanted a solution. Now, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, if they're going to have to restructure or if they're going to reorganize, if it's going to become one organization uh, that's going to take them all in or if they're going to exist independently within the Patro or how is it going to, how's it going to work? We're letting them figure it out. Yeah. We're letting them figure it. We're definitely accompanying them yeah. in the process, but we don't want to impose a structure on them. Uh, they're constantly in discussions with Le Patro Le Prévost. We're seeing if we can get some uh, some help with a firm as well to help. You know, it's very legal sometimes yeah. uh, getting that structure going, what's best for them. Uh, we're going to let them work it out. For for us, for sure, we just don't want their, uh, you know, any services to be diminished. Exactly. Definitely not. It's going to be a little tougher to develop services in the next year because it's going to be a transition period for everybody. And that's why we're really hoping that we can get you know, the provincial, the federal government on board mm -hmm. uh, to help us out to renovate those buildings, but also to help in terms of development. Yeah. Well, let's hope everything turns out okay because, uh, you know, the, the, we, we were pushing for a completely different project. And I think uh, it's something that uh, the Centre de la Jeunesse obviously wanted. I mean, you want your own space, right? Yeah. Uh, and I understand sometimes there's factors that you can't control. Uh, and there's other needs too, like social housing, of course. Um, but at the same time, and th this this was the argument that usually came out from the from the community groups uh, with respect to social housing. Even though it's very important, it's also equally important to have the 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 actors in place locally to help people come out of that situation where they would require social housing. Both both are essential, definitely, exactly. and that's why we wanted to make sure that with the deadlines, uh, with the uncertainty as well. Uh, with Lex Hôpital Chinois that we were able to conserve our community-based groups, mm -hmm. find them a location very, very quickly. Um, and also, if possible, uh, purchase Lex Hôpital Chinois. You know, when we when we purchased it, when we bid it, uh, we didn't necessarily have a plan of saying it was exclusively social housing or it would be both. Uh, you know, we were looking at all the options. We were happy to see that it was it was for sale uh, very quickly after we were elected, and um, you know when we when the deadline was confirmed by the CSDM that they would have to move very quickly, we didn't have a choice. We yeah. hadn't even purchased Lex Hôpital Chinois yet, so you know we have to be realistic. And if we didn't want any organizations on the street, we needed to act very quickly yeah. to to accompany them. So that's what we did. Let's talk a little bit about the budget. Um, yeah. Our mayor is uh, is a little spender. Is she? she well, it's normal to spend. I think it's uh, I think it's normal to spend. Spending has gone up. I think uh, I took down some notes. Seventeen uh, percent since two thousand seventeen. Yeah, which is um, record number spending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what's important is to make sure that uh, 
you know, we're spending in the right places, that we're spending responsibly. Uh, you know, it's easy to talk about uh, that we're spending too much or um, it's a little more difficult to say where we would cut if we would have to cut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're investing in all of our priorities, um, you know, mobility. Uh, we announced, uh, you know, extra money going into uh, more crossing guards, for example. Um, but uh, I think it's normal. I think a lot of uh, the messages were, were a little, um, what's the word? Um, transformed by the media and by certain people to make us look uh, irresponsible. Uh, you know, La Chambre de Commerce supported us. A lot of organizations like uh, Bâtir Son Quartier. But, but you also have very limited um, maneuverability. I mean, the only thing that you can control are essentially property taxes, right? And that's where it's mostly felt. Um, and I mean, you know, Mayor Plant said that she's going to only increase based on... Um, uh, inflation. Inflation. Yep. But I was looking very quickly and... Uh, the properties that buildings that have um, multi-unit uh, buildings, mm-hmm. for example, like over six apartments or whatever like that, the average about four and a half percent or four to five percent increase. So, I mean, you're, you're you're representing an area where there's a lot of those buildings, right? Yeah. Villery. Um, have people been aware that there's an increase coming? Uh, well, it's still, we still controlled it. You know, in the borough, we have a certain control as well on our uh, local taxes. Mm-hmm. So to make sure that we align our local tax uh, and the city tax so that it only goes up by inflation. That's what we did in the borough. There's certain boroughs where it went a lot higher. Uh, those boroughs made a conscious decision to go way above uh, the inflation rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't our choice. Okay. In uh, in our borough, but because, yes, because I looked at I looked at the boroughs that are getting the highest increase, and unfortunately, it's also the ones that have most of these multi uh, 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 multi units, uh, like over six floors or seven floors, like Codenage, for example. Yeah. Um, well, there's uh, Codenage, there's uh, Montreal North, uh, there's uh, there's certain boroughs. Obviously that downtown, but I mean downtown and all Downtown, makes sense. yeah. But we're talking about mostly residential. Uh, there's certain things we can control at the city level. Yeah. There's others that we can't. And we wanted to make sure to limit the hike to inflation, um, as you said. But when it comes to uh, la valeur foncière, so the property value, that's not something that we can control. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor Plant, for months, actually, since she was elected, has been uh, speaking to the provincial government to change uh, the way that uh, that our fiscal system works. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was actually a negotiation that was done very recently with the provincial government um, in order... Sorry, I'm thinking in French again. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> so, uh, pour le, le pacte fiscal. Mm-hmm. So, to see uh, how we can get... Um, uh, I can't speak in French and in English. It's so bad. You can do it. It's okay. I can do it uh, You can do whatever you want. Okay. So, to get uh, le point de TVQ, so we're going to get the augmentation du point de TVQ. Mm-hmm. And that was in the negotiation that was done uh, just last month. So that's very good news. It's going to bring more revenues to Montreal without having to base ourselves only on la valeur foncière yeah. d'une maison. Yeah. Um, and you also requested that uh, the that the government grant you the, the possibility to go above the, the debt ratio, right? Uh, right yeah. now you're at 120% or, and you want that for the next seven years? Yeah, so um, I'm less of an expert on uh, on the policies. It's more uh, Benoit Doré that uh, that was doing it. But 
yes, we asked on a, on a, the medium term to uh, to change the debt ratio, so to be a little uh, more lenient. But one thing uh, for sure is that toutes les agences de, de notation uh, said that everything's okay. We also got 150 million from uh, the provincial government because of uh, Reflex Montréal, so that's very good news. Uh, but Although it sounds like we're spending a lot, we are. It's in line with our with our priorities, uh, but it's also done in a very responsible way. Uh, I don't think La Chambre de Commerce would have supported us if we yeah. weren't spending our money responsibly. Um, I think everybody that backed us is is the proof that we're spending it responsibly, and you know we're spending more than any other administration in terms of our infrastructures, in terms of social housing. Um, If, you know, very respectfully, if other administrations had done it in the past, we wouldn't be forced to do it now. But that but that comes as no surprise, because I remember towards the end of uh, Denis Coderre's mandate, he mm -hmm. had come out publicly and said that, you know, he didn't want to shock anyone, but we need a ro road infrastructure program that would last easily 20 years in Montreal. So, oh, definitely, uh, definitely. And I think we see it with the number... Uh, you know, of roads that are being redone. But here's the uh, problem, though. Like, yeah. you look at uh, the downtown core of Montreal, which is, you know, you, your your main revenue-generating uh, vehicle. You have a street like St. Catherine that has been closed for, what, a year now? Um, has it been a year? There was an article, actually. Uh, was it? Uh, I can't remember what I was, where I read it. I think it was CJED. Uh, they were describing downtown as a, as nearly a ghost town. And it's true. I mean, you drive down. I mean, I, I cross through Montreal quite often. St. Catherine is, it's literally a ghost town. It's It's been closed for at least a year, I think. Or they're moving. I'm not sure how they're progressing. Yeah. But what's happening with all those businessmen? They're like, how do you how do you convince them that, you know, things are going to be okay? They're running a business. Well, it's definitely tough. But we're at the point where these, these infrastructure changes are necessary. Uh, we've put in place programs that are actually retroactive for our businesses. So if they're in an area where there's, uh, you know, a lot of construction, um, now they, can, they have access to programs mm -hmm. where they can be compensated for that. Uh, you know, our, our businesses in Villeray, uh, on Jerry, for example, yeah. uh, who went through a very difficult times. St. Dennis. St. Dennis as yeah. well, who are going through very difficult times. It's two years. Uh, you know, will actually have access to some form of compensation. And it was actually retroactive. Mm -hmm. So to 2016, it was one of the first measures we put in place. Yeah. We know it's tough for them. I think we need to be there to accompany them during the process. Uh, but in the end, once those changes are made, uh, it's going to benefit their business as well. You know, if we transform the street as well, uh, not redo it exactly What, how it was before. What's happening on St. Catherine? How is it transforming? Is, is it going to be maintained as it was or no, no, no. pedestrian? What, what are you doing over there? Uh, no, it's not fully pedestrian, but it's going to be partly. It's going to be completely, uh, completely transformed. Um, so, you know, a little bit um, how you saw in the in the past when we would redo. Why well, say we? When they would, when the city of Montreal would redo streets, uh, the sidewalks would be exactly the same. We're trying to make them a little larger. Um, we want them to be more animated, uh, more benches, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, we want more saïd um, trottoir. Mm -hmm. Uh, so to make sure that, uh, you know, it's safer, uh, we want our streets to be more pedestrian. It's the example uh, of St. Catherine, but it won't be closed off completely. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope not. I mean, the businesses rely on, on traffic going through In there. some places, yes. But in some places, businesses ask us to have less car traffic. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Let me tell you something. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife, uh, she she took the girls. And she's, like, she's like, let's go downtown. I want to go to the uh, Eaton Center. 
I get allergic when I hear that, but I'm like, okay, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's just go uh, you know, shopping downtown with the girls. Um, we left, we drove into downtown. It was chaotic. It was hectic. We went around maybe 20 minutes and we ended up coming back home. That's, that was our, the girls fell asleep yeah. obviously in the car. And I'm like, well, the girls are sleeping now. Let's just go back home. I'm sure I'm not the only one that this happens to. But um, people want an experience now. And that's why I'm saying, you know, uh, you know, you're shocked that when I say a lot of people, a lot of businesses don't necessarily want car traffic everywhere. It's because people want an experience when they shop now. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily just want to park, buy what they want and leave. Um, you know, they want uh, milieu de vie, as we say. Yeah, yeah. We see it on the Castelnau, for example. Yeah, but, yeah, but the Castelnau is a, is a residential area. We're talking about the downtown core of Montreal. How are you going to make it inviting for people to come into Montreal to its downtown core and spend whatever amount of money or whatever amount of time going around walking? Like once they're there, I can understand. Walk around, have that experience, but you first have to get there. Yeah, but not everybody gets there by car. Yeah. A lot of people take the metro. Um, yeah, a lot of people live downtown as well. Yeah. Uh, but yes, some people want to come from elsewhere than downtown or other areas and want to take their cars. There is tons of parking downtown. Mm -hmm. There is. Uh, you know, some people uh, want to be right in front of the store, for example. That's not always possible. Uh, sometimes you do have to walk, but people do enjoy that experience on the street, uh, walking around way more than just going to the business, parking. Um, I can send you the numbers after the podcast. We have an old yeah. uh, uh who's not with us anymore, but uh, who who did the study to compare, you know, people who take their cars to shopping centers, yeah. people who don't. We heard that argument a lot for Le Marché Jean-Talon as well. Yeah. Um, when we took out a few uh, parking spots uh, to make, you know, the, the La Place uh, mm -hmm. Shamrock. Mm -hmm. And uh, the stats versus, you know, the, the perception of things are two very different things. You yeah. know, there's underground parking at Marché Chantal. Yeah, that I've which, been there, yeah. Which is not expensive at no, all. at all. Um, you know, you could also get there by metro, but I do understand that some people want to take their car to be able to put things inside. Um, but, the stats are actually very surprising yeah. in terms of people who take their cars or people who take other uh, methods of transportation to go shopping yeah. and to go for the experience. Uh, everywhere I go with my wife, I, I kind of pray that one of the kids will fall asleep so I can stay in the car with, <laughs> with the kids. Why? Because I just don't have the patience, especially... You know, the patience uh, to shop or the patience to find parking? Both. Both. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you understand my situation. Yeah. I have a wife that likes to go shopping. Yeah. Uh, I don't like driving. And by all means, I hate going into Montreal now. So I'm praying. I, I'm, I'm driving. I'm like, please, why don't you just fall asleep? Please, please, please. So we wouldn't have to carry you. And then I have to kind of propose, yeah. you know, how it but is. It, Listen, if live, sweetie, if you want, I can stay back with a kid yeah. in the car. It's not a problem for, for me. You know, if you, if you live off the island, it might be a different, a different reality. Well, it's true, right? Because the, the suburbs now are all being developed in a way where if you don't have, if you don't work or if you have no business in Montreal, mm -hmm. you just don't go. Yeah. But you know, it's, we also want to encourage our local businesses and Montrealers to be able to shop in Montreal and to stay in Montreal. That's how, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you make sure that our businesses flourish. And mm -hmm. that's what most people want now. You know, they want to yeah. be able to walk uh, to get their stuff. It's not ideal for everybody, depending on where you live on the island. Uh, it's what we try to encourage, but I think it's what we're seeing in other cities as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in other cities, you know, they're trying to develop what we call les quartiers à échelle humaine. So whether you're on the island, off the island, people don't necessarily want to transit uh, all the time. Um, you know, we try to find, to, to make mobility more accessible for people so they don't always have to be so dependent on cars. And I told you at the very beginning, you know, uh, I myself would like to be less dependent. If you live in an area where you have access Uh, to public transportation, you're more inclined to take it. Yeah. But it's not everybody who has that access. And I think that's where there's a, you know, a lack of investment for for the past uh, for the past few years. Yeah. I know you have to go. I, I want to close it up. I want to close yeah. it up because there's a lot of stuff brewing in politics uh, mm -hmm. in Quebec. And there's a few things happening, especially uh, coming from the city of Montreal that are kind of going uh, countercurrent. Uh, obviously, Bill 21, uh, highly spoken, Um, in, in our pause, but then there's also Bill 40, which is um, a, a bill, a provincial bill to kind of ban uh, school boards, right? And the mm -hmm. way that school boards uh, are functioning. On both those bills, the city of Montreal kind of suggested that they're against them. Um, what is the message that you think you're sending as the biggest city in Quebec kind of going against the provincial uh, policy? And Bill 21, just for everyone listening or watching, it's obviously being contested now, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But regardless, whatever happens, I'm suspecting that the government is going to invoke the notwithstanding clause and it's yep. going to be applied. Um, are you planning on um, uh, uh, on applying these measures in Montreal? I mean, so one thing is clear. Uh, we've never called to civil disobedience on on any end and we don't have the intention to. Um, I think with Bill 21, we sent a strong message. Um, I was with the mayor, actually, and the leader of the official opposition uh, when we spoke about Bill 21. Uh, you know, we have a reality in Montreal where, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of immigrants. We have a lot of minorities. Well, it and clearly doesn't exist anywhere else in Quebec uh, or very few cities, actually. Well, we had to we had to send mm -hmm. a strong message, uh, you know, and just in terms of, of social justice, making sure that everybody feels welcome in Montreal. It was important for us to do so. And I think historically, it's one of the only times where, uh, you know, the mayor and the leader of the official opposition mm -hmm. sent such a strong message. Um, now to say that, um, you know, we're, we're contesting the Quebec government, um, you know, I, I think we need to take that leadership role mm -hmm. sometimes. That doesn't mean that we don't have a good relationship. No, with but the yeah, that's not what I suggested. Okay. It, it's just in a way that, you know, there's a message coming to the government from its biggest city. Yep. And they're kind of standing united. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no, there's no contest here in uh, the city of Montreal. I mean, no, you know, there's no, nothing contradicting here. You're united in, uh, in a common movement against uh, these policies. And I'm just wondering from the side of the government, I mean, are they looking into it favorably? Are they telling you, look, just sit down, relax, let us take over, let us do our job kind of thing. Well, I mean, because you do have a significant voice, right? In Quebec, you do represent the biggest city in, in Quebec. We do, we do. And um, I would say we do see their openness in changing sometimes. It was the same with the uh, cannabis act, yeah. actually, the legalization of cannabis. Uh, you know, we sent out a strong message uh, saying that it couldn't be applied the same way everywhere in Quebec than it could in Montreal. Uh, you know, just became legal. We have 60% of people who are tenants. And uh, 
the, well, actually now it's officially banned everywhere on the territory. Um, the public health uh, department in Quebec said it's really not a good idea to ban everywhere. Uh, we respected that, but um, when the mayor and the uh, and Sylvain Caron from the SPVM went to Quebec to say this is going to be a problem, it's going to be uh, difficult it's going to be very difficult to uh, to apply on the Montreal territory. They heard us out. They gave us, um, you know, a specific clause in Montreal where we can apply it uh, differently in parks, for example. So the message is getting out there. I think we need to keep having that leadership role. Um, saying that we'll apply it or we won't apply it uh, is difficult. We're speaking about individuals mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's, it's up to them to see how they're going to apply it. We don't want to ask people to, you know, not apply the law. I don't think that's responsible mm -hmm. as an administration, but it was important for us to. But look, let's talk hypothetically now. And yeah. I know politicians hate hypothetical stuff, uh, but say it goes through, right? And I'm talking about Bill 21, all right? Yeah. <clears throat> Will you apply it? Are you going to tell? Well, Bill 21 is, I mean, it's already applied. It's been it's contested. Not... So uh... it's still applicable. It's still applicable. And, you know, it's very limited what, how it applies to Montreal. Mm -hmm. It'll apply to uh, police officers, for example. Yeah. Um, right now, it doesn't impact anybody individually um, from what we've seen so far. Um, so it's not up to us. You know, we would be asking um, other people from, you know, we're talking about teachers, we're talking about the any school board. Mm -hmm. uh, it's up to them to decide how they will apply it or not. Um, I guess we'll see when it's contested how it comes out, but for the for the time being, it's applied. Yeah. And the mayor has always said, you know, we you we can't um, as as leaders as elected officials ask people to not respect yeah. the law. But we do understand that some people will be contesting it, and it's their right to do yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting. Like I have a feeling that there there's this disparity being created between the the main cities and the regions. Uh, in Quebec, and it's unfortunate. I don't know that it's it's being created. You know, I think there are realities that that are different, mm -hmm. and I think we need to all you know exchange more and better understand our different realities. And that's why it was so important for us to speak out, uh, not do politics, but speak out with the opposition yeah. on, Cause, on Bill Twenty One. Because I've seen it. I, I remember once we brought a group of Indian Sikhs to the National Assembly of Quebec. Okay, it was as though time froze still. People were like. What is going on? It's, you know, for us, especially like, if you, we were talking seeds. a lot about young people, yeah. you know, before. For young people, you know, uh, you look at uh, people in kids in elementary school, in high school. It's not, it's a non-issue in Montreal. And no, I wouldn't, sure. I can't yeah. say that I, uh, you know, I know how it's applied anywhere else because I'm a Montrealer, yeah. you know, born and raised. So but I that was an eye-opening thing for me because I didn't know how things I worked elsewhere, but when I was actually physically there yeah. and I saw people's reaction, I was like, okay, what is going on here? Yeah. Like even the National Assembly Security, they're like, what's this? What's going on? Really? I'm like, this is my group of 50 Sikhs. They're like, oh, we didn't know what Sikhs were. I'm like, what? Oh, wow. It, it, yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. It was like everything froze still. I was like, everybody, everybody just paused. They're like, what, what is happening in parliament? Yeah. Like, dude, relax. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, you know, because a lot of people are hurt through this. Oh, for sure. Uh, feeling that, you know, they can't work. Uh, they're not integrated yeah. uh, because of what they wear, because of, you know, what they practice uh, in terms of religion, how they look. 
uh, it's really, it's really, really unfortunate. And, you know, we see it right now in Quebec. Uh, yeah. We need people to work on top of everything else. And I understand that, you know, there's a droit acquis clause. And, um, but it's unfortunate that we don't speak more about inclusion mm -hmm. rather than uh, what divides us. Mm -hmm. You know, even now we end up speaking about how Montreal and Les Régions are divided. And, you know, it might be the reality, but it's, it's unfortunate that we don't talk more about how we're similar yeah. rather than how we're different. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I'm not going to take up more of your time. I know that you have to head back to City Hall. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I, it's I a really pleasure. appreciate it. It was really it. fun. Thank you. Uh, you're going to come back. You're going to come back because your elections are coming. So oh, it's true. I, I think it's I'm, true. I, I think I'm going to do something <laughs> for the municipal, like I did with a federal election. I think it's going to be. It's going to. Oh, be that fun. would be fun. I'm in. Champion. Uh, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you.